Hello, hockey fans. This is Mark Willand. Before we begin the show, just a reminder that the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast supports the Warrior for Life Fund charity. If you follow social media, you saw our recent alumni weekend series between the Boston Bruins and New York Ranger legends to benefit the Warrior for Life Fund and the Navy SEALs Foundation. Through the game of hockey, the Warrior for Life Fund provides programs and infrastructure that helps military families cope with the unique challenges of combat, extended deployments, and disabilities. The Warrior for Life Fund will memorialize the history and heritage of military service and honor those who have unselfishly given the ultimate sacrifice. We are proud to be associated with these real-life heroes. To learn more, please visit warriorforlifefund.org. Thank you. Welcome to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the voice of hockey legends. This is the classic hockey show for classic hockey fans. We celebrate the history of the game with stories told by the select few who actually lived it. Get ready for an all-access pass to the heart of the hockey universe. Episode 55 of the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast features part two of our two-part discussion with Gary Suitcase Smith, one of the NHL's premier goaltenders and most fascinating characters of the 1960s and 70s. In this episode, Gary gives us amazing and humorous insights into the second half of his career with eye-opening tales from his days with the Chicago Blackhawks, Vancouver Canucks, Washington Capitals, Minnesota North Stars, and the Winnipeg Jets. As he did in part one, Gary delivers an honest, no-holes-barred look at his life in big league hockey in the 1970s. Also known as Axe for his stick-wielding ways, Gary was the co-winner of the Vesna Trophy in 71-72 with Chicago, an NHL All-Star in 1975 with Vancouver, and an Avco Cup champion with the Winnipeg Jets in 1979. In addition to his on-ice accomplishments, Gary is remembered as a fun-loving and colorful netminder who is popular with teammates and fans alike. If you love classic hockey, you'll love this discussion with Gary Smith. Remember, home base for the show is ProHockeyAlumni.org and you can also reach us anywhere on social media at ProHockeyAlumni. Your comments, ratings, and reviews on iTunes are extremely valuable in increasing the visibility of the show. I read all your comments, and they are greatly appreciated. Now, let's talk classic hockey with Gary Smith. But you end up, Gary, in Chicago as a member of the Blackhawks, a completely different situation, one of the league's best teams 
And now, rather than playing 70-plus games a year, you're backing up one of the all-time great goaltenders, Tony Esposito. I was curious of what Tony was like to be a goaltender partner with with the Blackhawks. Well, <clears throat> I have to tread lightly here. Um, first of all, when you're a goalie, you want to play. And you can look at my career and you can see that I want to play. I don't want to sit on the bench. Mm-hmm. You can look at Tony's uh, career and he wants to play. When I went to Chicago, I told you how screwed up I was. Um, I, uh, Chicago, first of all, in Chicago, I had a great team, great team. And uh, Bobby Hall, Makita, Bill uh, White, and Pat Stapleton is a good pair of defensemen who have ever played the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were as good as Pronger and... Uh, uh, whatever the guy's name was, just invited and inducted into the Hall of Fame with the Ducks. Uh, I can't remember his name now, but his partner. Niedermeyer, yeah. yeah. So that's what they were. They were just so great. But Tony wanted to play, and I wanted to play. So in my first nine games with Chicago, I got something like four shutouts. And Tony went to Billy Ray. I know because Billy Ray was our coach, and I know because I used to go to the track with Billy Ray, and I talked to Billy Ray. And he said, Tony came to me, and he said that he's got to play. He's the goalie here. And he said he's taken us this far, and so at this point you're going to be the backup. After I'd, I'd won all my nine games, and I had four shutters or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, okay, and I'm rooming with Tony. And... Uh, so we got along good as roommates and stuff like that, but I wanted to play. And uh, so, and Tony would get pissed off if I play. So for the next two years, I played only on the road, only against the best teams. So we have a good year that year, and we at the President's Trophy, I ended up playing 25 games. He plays the rest, 26 games, I think he played the rest. And I ended up getting nine shadows, or five shadows, excuse me, or five or six shadows. And um, I know I got a show at my last game. Um, and then he's playing in the last game, and he's got 15 shadows. He has a record 15 shadows. So between us, we had 14 shadows anyway. He was a shadow going into the third period. And uh, I don't know, there was a questionable goal scored on him, so. It seemed to me that uh, he was not getting the, the shutout to, you know, for us to share the shutout record with him. That's what it seemed like to me. Mm-hmm. So we go, go back the next year, same thing. He's got to play all the time. I played, I mean, I looked at the records, how many games I played. I played all of them on the road and all of them on the road and all against the toughest teams in the league. And uh, so basically... I went to Billy, who was my friend, and I said, Billy, this isn't working out. I'm getting older, and i got to play every day. And so he said, okay. So basically, I, I blame Tony in one way because he's being selfish, but I don't blame Tony in another way because he wanted to play. And that's what made him the star that he was because he wanted to play and he wanted to win so much. So we got along. But, uh, you know, Tony doesn't know this. I never said it to Tony, so uh, 
is, you know, I, I have to tread light, lightly. And I had a chance to take over from Tony a couple of times, maybe one time, especially. Uh, in uh, we lost the first two games in the playoffs in uh, against the Rangers in the first round, I guess it was, and uh, yeah, and. When we went back to uh, New York, we lost him at home, and Billy called me in his room and he said, I'm going to play you tomorrow night. And so that game, I had a chance to take over from Tony, and I made the stupidest mistake I ever made in hockey, and we lost the game 2-1, to one. and uh, so then he played, so we were down three games, and then he played the fourth game, and we were out. But I had a chance. If I would have played well that night, I could have taken over from Tony, mm-hmm. and I didn't. It was my own fault. I mean, I played. I played well. I was a second star, but I let one bad goal and I made a mistake, and then uh, he went with Tony in the third game. But I, I, I felt all my career after that that I could have taken over from Tony if I would have played. If I would have won that game. Right, and just the, the hands of fate. And a lot of, you remind me when you tell me these stories, how much pressure there is, how the fine line between uh, being a starter and not being a starter, and et cetera, et cetera. It, so many times in your career, things can go one way or the other. Who drafts you, who trades you, who, et cetera, et cetera. And this is one more example of that. But one other question I wanted to ask you about your Blackhawks experience, your first year there, Bobby Hull is there. Um, What's it like facing Bobby Hull in practice? Did he? Uh, no problem. <laughs> I played again. I played with Bobby Hull in Chicago just for one year. Then he jumped to the WHA the second year mm-hmm. there. But Bobby was uh, playing against in the game. It was uh, it was a nightmare because uh, he had such a great shot, such a great hockey player, and it was always high. And uh, he's on record of saying that. Uh, uh, you know that he would fire one around the guy's head uh, just about always to make the guy, you know, stand up a little bit on their skates. Uh, the goalie, but in practice, he's the easiest guy to play with you could ever play against. He just comes and shoots right of your pads, just a little uh, flick shot. And great, great guy. Uh, played with him in Winnipeg too, and. Uh, uh, he was the same in Winnipeg after winning all those trophies in Winnipeg, and I think Bob, Bobby Orr is the best hockey player ever, and I think Bobby Hull is the second best. Well, Gary, your career takes a another positive turn after the '73 season, as you noted. You requested a trade, and you are traded uh, for Dale Talon and King Kong Korab uh, from Chicago to Vancouver, and all of a sudden. You're playing 66 games that first year, and in the second year, 74-75, you're an NHL All-Star. The team wins the Smythe Division Championship. Uh, You play 72 games. You get a lot of votes for the most valuable player. Many people felt you should have been the most valuable player that year. Talk about the situation in Vancouver and how things turned so positively, both for yourself personally and the franchise. We had a good team in Vancouver, and uh, a good bunch of guys, and um, we had a good, uh, when we first went there, the coach was Bill McCreary, and uh, the general manager, Hal Lakel, and um, basically, uh, they had to straighten some things out, and they fired Bill, which I think was a mistake, they should have maybe fired Hal as a general manager, and... um, so the first year, 
we went there and we uh, I don't even know if we made the playoffs the first year I can't remember um, but we they made a few a few deals the big the big thing that Vancouver did is they hired Phil Maloney right. to be the general manager and coach and uh, it was the first time out there in a lot of years I guess that the general manager uh, and the coach got along and uh, so he was a big plus and he let us do with anything we want. And the problem was he was probably too loose on us um, as a, uh, a taskmaster. Master. Certainly it was on me anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we had a, a pretty good year the first year. And then the second year we led the league and we beat Chicago out for first place. And... Um, I can remember going into Chicago and uh, having a little bit of a rivalry there, rivalry, and um, so it turned really good in the in the second year. That's the year I made the All Star team and uh, at halfway for the All Star game. Um, actually, there was four goalies that year that had big years: Ken Dryden, uh, Rogie Flashon. Myself and uh, Bernie Perrant. So I think you could have picked any of those guys to be uh, MVP. Um, Bobby Clark actually said uh, in his uh, his speech for receiving the uh, MVP that he said, thank you very much, but Gary Smith should have won it. And I I thought that was pretty nice of him to say. For a guy I absolutely hated... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and hated to play against and tried to chop him and and uh, get him every time I possibly could. But um, anyway, we had a, a good, a real good year, and uh, we ended up playing against Montreal in the first round. I can remember we went back to, we didn't know who we were going to play against, so we flew back to Toronto from Vancouver overnight, and my roommate at the time was Don Lever. And there was another game on the Sunday, and however that game went, then we were going to have to play either Montreal or Philadelphia. And uh, I wanted to play against Philadelphia because, uh, you know, they were a tough team to play against, but they might beat you 5-4, to 3-2, to or 2-1, to one or something like that. And uh, Montreal might beat you 10 to nothing. So as a goalie, I, I wanted to play against Philadelphia. And I said to my roommate, Don Lever, I said, who do you want to play against? And he said, are you kidding me? Said, I want to play against Montreal. I don't want to get, go into uh, Philadelphia and get the shit beat out of me. <laughs> and uh, so I said, oh, okay. So I understand wh- wh- what everybody else was on the team was thinking about. But it turned out... Uh, it turned out we had to play against Montreal, and uh, Montreal, of course, had the best team. And they, uh, they were in the middle of winning four or five Stanley Cups or whatever it was. And so we go back there, and I had a real bad groin the last part of the year, and uh, Kenny Lockett was uh, the other goalie. And um, so he had played the last few games, and he played fantastic. And uh, he... Uh, set a shutout record over two games, two games and something for the Canucks, which was a, a record for a long time until Luongo broke it, so it took that many years, you know, mm-hmm. 20 or 30 some years to be broken. So they played him the first game and we lost 6-2. to two. So that was because he had played so good to, for us to get there. Right. And um, then they played me the second game and uh, I stood on my head, it was one of those games, you know, 
that came along every once every 15 years or something mm-hmm. and uh, won the game in Montreal. So we're going back home tied with Montreal. And in both games in, in, uh, in Vancouver, the t- we were tied 1-1 at the end of two periods. So they could have gone either way. But they were the Montreal Canadiens and we were the Vancouver Canucks, you know. So they beat us the two games in Vancouver. And then we went to overtime in the third game, in the sixth game back in, uh, I guess it was the fifth or, yeah, sixth game, fifth or, fifth or sixth game. Back in in uh, Montreal, they beat us in overtime, so we were out. And then the next year, we had big hopes and everything, and basically, we were flying till Christmas, and uh, it's a well-known story that I screwed up at the Christmas party with the owners, uh, the owner's wife and uh, Mrs. Griffiths, and uh, I admit I did. I didn't say the things that I uh, that were. Uh, attributed to me to say because I'd never be smart enough to think of those things. Mm-hmm. That was dreamed up by our publicity director, but I did say things I shouldn't have said to the owner, and you don't do that, so uh, they had to get me out of Vancouver. So uh, I was there the rest of the year before they could make a deal, and um, they not only got rid of me in Vancouver, they got rid of all my friends, too. So Oh, wow. It set it's it's set Vancouver back probably at least ten years in their development and maybe more maybe even longer. But Shelley made a deal with me. I went to Minnesota for season San Diego, which uh, was probably a poor deal for both teams. Caesar uh, is a great friend of mine, great goalie. I think he, he and I are comparable. Our careers are, were comparable, mm-hmm. and uh, but he was the goalie that uh, made Minnesota, and I wasn't able to equal uh, his uh, playing like he did in Minnesota. Yeah, and he wasn't e- uh, equal to playing like I did in Vancouver. Yeah, and in the situation, and first of all, Gary, I wanted to. I know we've gone a little over uh, what I requested. Are you okay for a few more questions? Yeah, sure. Okay, great, because this has been fantastic, and I really appreciate it. Um, I appreciate it, too. When you talk about the Minnesota situation, they had, prior to your arrival, done something, I guess, similar to what Vancouver was doing at the time. They had got rid of a lot of their uh, classic players, the Bill Goldsworthy's, the Danny Grants, et cetera, so they were rebuilding. That was a, not an easy situation for you to step into. You end up in Washington with the Capitals, another young developing team, but they, they too are struggling a little bit. And you have a coach, Tom McVeigh, who would seem, who comes into our story later, but would seem to be a, a coach that you get along with very well. Oh, yes. Um, but Minnesota, um, basically, Ted Harris was a the coach there who couldn't stand me. And, uh, so he, he right off the bat, he thought I wasn't trying or, or something like that. I don't know what it was, but uh, so he just didn't like me. So I didn't get to play much there. They had a real good goalie named Pete Lepresti, who uh, was really, was really underrated. People don't re- realize how great he was. And so he had a pretty good year there. So I, they just didn't sign me the next year. I was a free agent, so the only time... Uh, the only team that I could find uh, that would take me was Washington. 
And uh, so uh, Tall Lake V came out to, first of all, I went to, uh, during that summer, uh, I went to uh, Washington and I uh, went through to see all their doctors and stuff like that. So they signed me. And McVie uh, put me on this program to get in shape. Um, and uh, so I was supposed to go running and do this and do that and do this and do that, all this kind of stuff. And uh, so then near the end of the summer, just before training camp, or a couple of weeks before training camp, he calls me and he has a real deep voice. He says, hi, Gary, how's the training going? And I said, oh, okay, pretty good time. And stuff. And he said, well, I'm going to be out there tomorrow. Pick me up at the airport in Reno. I was living in Lake Tahoe, so I had to go pick, pick uh, McPhee up at the airport. And then so he comes up, he stays at my house in Lake Tahoe, and we're going on this training regiment that I'm supposed to be on during the summer to get in shape for this training camp. And so I'm on none of it, and I'm just in terrible shape. And he comes out, and I have to go running with him in Lake oh. Tahoe. <laughs> and uh, so we go up to the track that uh, I had tried to run a couple of times. At the, but, but in Lake Tahoe, you're at high altitude, 7,000 feet altitude, and it's hard to breathe up there. And then so he goes up, and I'm supposed to be going... You know, so many, a quarter and so many seconds, quarter mile and so many seconds, and then the next quarter and so many, and taking a, you know, a 30-second break, and you know, just this training regiment that he makes you go through. Mm -hmm. So I can do none of it. So um, anyway, so he's not too happy with me, but he's a great guy, and we have a great time. You know, but he's not too happy with me being in terrible shape. <laughs> so we go to training camp, and uh, he runs the toughest training camp that anybody, well, other than Bert Olmsted, anybody has ever thought about doing in their lives. And uh, so we go through that training camp, and um, I uh, uh, I make it through training camp, but I can't do any of these these uh like i can't do a mile in under seven minutes and i can't do this and i can't do that so training camp is you're going through two practices a day and then in the meantime i go running in the rink in hershey pennsylvania up around the rink there thinking i'm going to fall down all the time because the rink's so high and uh so i anyway i make the team and i'm but i'm kind of like the second or third goalie there i play a few games and uh, we did have kind of a poor team in Washington, and uh, all a bunch of young kids or old guys like me that you know are, are really can't contribute too much anymore. And um, so at one point, I play my last game, and we win my last game. Can't remember who it was against. Um, Anyway, I win my last game. But then they decided to go play for youth, or go with youth. So they go with Jim Bedard, who is a young goalie. And um, so it's uh, we go 10 games, 15 games. Turns out 35 games without a, or 32 games without a win. And uh, meanwhile, I'm doing everything that Tommy wants me to do. I'm I'm a I'm at the exact weight he wanted to be, which was 209 pounds. I haven't gone on the road in two months, and uh, but I have to go to the dressing room. I just go to practice. He makes me do extra stuff in practice. And um, he, he says to the guys, and I'm a good example to the other guys in the team, but because he'd say, look at that guy over there. 
Smith, he says, uh, he's here for practice every day. I haven't played him in two months. He's here on time for practice every day. He's 209 pounds. He never, he does the extra work and he never complains about it. And, um, you know, take a look at him and everything. And so I'm saying, yeah, you know, isn't this great? And, uh, so I go, so anyway, I go down to practice or I go down after a game. Meanwhile, uh, my friend Louie Manny gets the job as general manager in Minnesota. He went from player to general manager in Minnesota. So I called uh, Louie Manny and I said, Louie, I said, I hate it here in Washington. Would you, want, would you take me back in uh, Minnesota? And he said, uh, he said, okay, we're, we're going to be playing in Minnesota on Sunday night. And uh, I'll talk to Max McNabb about it. And, uh, but he said, yeah, I'd like you to come back here. So anyway, but meanwhile, before this must have been on a Wednesday or something when we lost, the, lost our 32nd game in, in, uh, in a row in uh, Washington. So they were playing in Cleveland the next night. So I go down to the room after we lose the game, and I uh, said, am I going on the road, Tommy? And I would do that, you know, 15 times before, and he'd say no. He said, uh, just see you next practice. And uh, so he said, yeah, you know what? He says, uh, maybe, he says, you, you try all the time, and, you, you know, you never give me any aggravation and everything, and you're a good example for the other guys on the team. He said, why don't you come on the road with us? <laughs> I said, okay, so I just I was happy to get out of town. So I go on the road to Cleveland, and Jim Bernard gets hurt in warm-up. And uh, so I got to play. And I haven't played in three months. And so I go in and play in Cleveland, and we win the game. So I won the game before we started the 32-losing streak. And then I win the game to run the 30-game losing streak. And we go back, and we play a game on Friday night. And I don't play. I'm back up in the stands. I am dressed. So then anyway, and Lee has already called Max McNabb to see if uh, I'll come back to uh, go back to Minnesota where I was the next year. And I did blue in Minnesota the year before, but Ted Harris is there and Lee Annie's in. So Lee goes in when he uh, uh, when we when he comes to Washington. He talks to Matt, Max and he said, "Do you mind if I take Gary Smith off your hands?" And uh, so Max says, if you'll take Gary Smith off our hands, we'll play half a salary. So I go back with Minnesota, to Minnesota, with them. And this is funny. So he plays me in three games. Uh, first three games, I'm there for three games. And I played great in Minnesota. We win one, we lose one, and we tie one. And I was second star of all three games. Wow. And I think they scored three goals on me in, in each game. And uh, so Louie comes down to me. We're in St. Louis. And Louie comes down to me after the game. He said, what the hell are you doing? And I said, I don't know. I said, I, I, I think I'm playing pretty good. And he says, we're trying to lose. We're trying to be in last place to get Bobby Smith in the, in the draft, <laughs> the, first, the first player in the draft. He said, I'm going to send you to Fort Worth and, uh, and, uh, so we can finish in last place. So that's why he got me. They wanted to finish in last place. And I said, Louie, I said, I just got a little left in the tank. And uh, he says, well, we're going down to Fort Worth, and uh, they got a, a team there that's fighting to make the playoffs, and they got a pretty good shot at it, I think. So we go down to Fort Worth. Louie and I go down 
on the plane the next morning from St. Louis, and I signed a contract with Louie, a two-year contract, seventy-five thousand a year on a napkin uh, while we're having a cocktail on the plane. So he says, just try to play half season down here, help these guys, and you got a two-year contract when you come back. So I signed on a napkin. Mm-hmm. So I go down to Fort Worth, and I can play there for fun. It's the minor leagues, and I'm still I can still play in the uh, NHL. And so I go down there, and we play good. And uh, and Billy McMillan is our coach, and he's a guy I played at St. Mike's with. So he lets me do what I ever want and everything, and he plays me all the time. And I'm having a great time going down there playing for fun. And uh, we win the championship down there. And then so I go back to Lake Tahoe, and uh, during the summer. They, got, they finished in last, and they dropped Bobby Smith, which was a good draft. And the team they beat out for finishing last was Washington. I don't know who they drafted. You'll have to look it up. And uh, probably the wrong guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Certainly not Bobby Smith. But um, uh, so I, I hear on the TV that somehow Cleveland and Minnesota have merged and they're the same team. So I called Louie. I said, Louie, what about this contract that we signed on the on the uh, plane? And he said, uh, well, I never registered. I never put it. I forgot about it. I never registered it. He said, I don't know if I'm going to have a job. So he said, I'll get back to you. And uh, so then he gets back to me, and he says, well, it turns out I'm lucky enough to have a job. And we inherited eight girlies from... Cleveland, or maybe it was five guys from Cleveland and three from Minnesota. So we have eight guys under contract, and the guys under contract from Cleveland were Jim Lash and that guy Jim Craig, who was on the Olympic team, and a couple other guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, Minnesota had three guys in, under contract, including Peter Lepresti and I don't know who, Paul Harrison, I think. And uh, so he can't can't give me a job. And uh, so anyway, he says, I'll try to find you a job somewhere else. So he finds me a job. He calls Pat Staples, and he finds me a job in Indianapolis the next year. Okay, now I'm in Indianapolis. <laughs> and what a, it's interesting. You mentioned the Indianapolis racers. Who would have ever known as you and I, I'm curious a little bit about the team because it, it fell apart quickly with Nelson Scalbania but at the same time unbeknownst to anybody you're playing with two players who are 17 18 years old who would eventually become number one and two in the all-time NHL scoring uh, records Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier can you talk a little bit about the first time you saw Wayne Gretzky and what your thoughts were yeah, the first time I saw him is uh, I drove all the way from Lake Tahoe, and it was the day before training camp started. And uh, so I just brought my stuff down to training to training camp, my equipment. And so I, I uh, heard of Wayne Gretzky, and um, I uh, brought my equipment into the dressing room. And uh, so I watched them practice because I got there late after drive. It wasn't it was like training camp wasn't starting till the next day. And so I just brought my stuff into practice, and then I went out and I watched them, and his father was there and his mother, and I think his little brothers and sisters and stuff like that. But I watched them, and I took a look at them, and I said, 
yikes, is this kid something? And uh, I said to myself, I'm going to be nice to this kid. And uh, like I was just training camp playing with, before training camp playing with some of the guys that are going to be on the team. And there's guys that have been in pro for many years. And, and he's 17 years old or 18 or whatever he was. Anyway, Messier wasn't there that day, but, but Gretzky, I thought, holy cow, is this guy going to be great? And um, then it's, it seems to me, I don't know, no, I was going to say something about Messier because I'm, I'm trying to think when he got there. I don't think he was there at the start of the year, but he may no. have been. No, he wasn't. So he wasn't at no. the start of the year? I don't know. They came later. I yeah, okay, he came later. And uh, so I went in, I introduced myself to Wayne, and I said, uh, uh, I said I'm pleased to meet you, Gary Smith, and stuff like that. He, and he said to me, pleased to meet you, Mr. Smith. He says, uh, he said, yeah, I went to your first game, uh, or my first game I saw in the NHL, my grandmother uh, uh, brought me to, uh, we were up in the Grays at Maple Leaf Gardens, and uh, you were playing. You were playing for the Seals against the Leafs, and uh, very pleased to meet you. And and great to be playing on the same team, playing the same team together. And just treated me great. But I was like treated like a father. I would be his father or something. Uh-huh. You know. So I was really nice. So then Pat Stapleton uh, was the coaching general manager, and he, he put me with Gretzky, or put Gretzky with me to room with when we went on the road. So. Uh, uh, I tried to teach him, you know, how to be a pro, and I uh, was just really nice to him, and we got along great. And it was just had a great time, the little time I was there with him. And I remember the first game we played, and uh, it was against Winnipeg, and uh, I had played with uh, Bobby Hull uh, in, in uh, Chicago, as we mentioned earlier, and uh, Gretzky was playing. I think they both got... I'm not sure, but I think they both got a hat trick. Or hat trick, but one of them got a hat trick, and one of them got a couple of goals. And um, but we had in Indianapolis, we were the old guys like me and a bunch of other old guys who were near the end of their career, and the young guys like Gretzky, other guys coming up. So it was kind of a mishmash up there, but we all got along great. And it was the only time I saw the WHA, the first time I saw the WHA. And, um, you know, we weren't good enough to compete there. And uh, also Scalbania, all he was doing was show, showing off Gretzky so he could get him somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And the team was destined to go under from the day we got there. Um, we never got paid, like, our meal money for training camp, and we missed our paychecks and stuff like that. So it was kind of like a bad deal in uh, Indianapolis. And then they traded, uh, um, and I was a good friend of Whitey Stapleton, and another guy, Rod Zane, a friend of mine from Ottawa, he was the assistant GM. So I basically knew what was going on, and they were just, we were hanging on for dear life, and where we would get our paychecks from, and when we'd get them, and, and things like that. So then, then they sold Gretzky, and that was it. And we played three home games after they sold Gretzky, and uh, a guy named Peter Driscoll and Eddie Meal, and uh, they went to Edmonton. And then we never got paid for the three games, and they pulled the plug. Oh. And uh, they, we folded. So I had to drive with my family back, two cars, back to uh, Lake Tahoe from uh, Indianapolis. And um, I remember going, getting my equipment and uh, taking my 
kicks and stuff from there in case I might ever play again. And then there was two sweaters hanging there that weren't there. There was Messier and uh, no, I guess well Messier well he'd already gone or something. He was he was still with us. So it was only one sweater. It was Gretzky's sweater. And I said, uh, should I take this sweater? <laughs> and uh, I said, no. I said it's not my place to take it. So I left it there. And uh, I took my sweater. So then, anyway, I went back to Lake Tahoe for uh, uh, several months, and my wife was always bugging me, get a job, get a job, get a job. This team lost, call there and see if you can get a job. And so on, on um, Super Bowl Sunday, Winnipeg has, had lost the night before, uh, and it was Super Bowl Sunday, and... She was bugging me, and she said, why don't you call Winnipeg? They, they lost, like, they need some help and goal. And this was two, at least two months after I had played. Mm-hmm. So um, I, but I want to get it the hell away from her because she's bugging me so much. <laughs> so, so I called Winnipeg Jets, and thinking that nobody's going to be in the office on the Sunday morning of the Super Bowl. And so I called them, and... A male answers the phone. He says, hello. And I said, there's John Ferguson there. He says, speaking. So I say, oh, no, to myself. I said, John, it's Gary Smith. I was wondering, I see you got beat last night. I was wondering if you needed any help and goal. (laughs) So he said, hey, Freddy, how you doing? And I said, "Uh, well, I haven't been, you know, I've been trying to get a job somewhere. And he said, well, he says, you know, I got two goalies here, and he said, I like one of them, and I'm not so happy with the other one. He said, I'll think about it. So, a phone rings, and about a week later, and uh, when I thought there was a chance that I could play, I went out to uh, uh, Squaw Valley Arena, and I tried to play just a pickup hockey, and I couldn't stop a balloon. I hadn't played in two months, and I had ballooned up to about 240. And uh, so anyway, he did call me a week later. He said, can you be in, uh, in Winnipeg tonight because we're going on the road, or maybe tomorrow night because we're going on the road for a week, and I want to get you organized. And uh, he says, I'll give you 10000 for the rest of the year. There was like only about eight games or something the rest of the year, and I just wanted to get the heck out of there, mm-hmm. so uh, out of Lake Tahoe. And so I said, okay, I'll go. So I go, and it's uh, it's – land in Winnipeg and it's 40 below and so I get a uh, drive to the hotel and the next morning I got to go to the rink and I got and I can't get a cab because the cabs they aren't even starting so I go there and I'm late for practice I had to drag all my equipment across from the hotel which is you know about a, maybe a half mile of rink at 40 degrees below wow. zero I had to drag my pads and everything and equipment over there, so I don't make it for practice. And uh, so I see Fergie sitting up there watching practice. So I go up and I talk to him. He said, "Okay, ten grand a year for the rest of the year." He said, "I want to pr- I want you to practice with with uh, uh, the University of Winnip- Winnipeg. We're we're leaving uh, the, the next morning. Uh, we're playing that that they played that night anyway. So it was the next morning. I guess I dragged my stuff across there and I talked to Fergie." But the night before, they played Edmonton, so I go across, I go watch the game. And uh, so it wasn't the next day till I dragged my equipment off there. 
So uh, anyway, uh, so then after the game, I went out with the Edmonton guys, Gretzky, and uh, Nace Bailey that I played with in Washington. And so we go out, and the next morning I, I drag myself across. So then they leave. And then so I'm supposed to, the next morning I wake up after they've left, and my foot is hurting like mad, and I can't even walk. And uh, so I, I can't practice with Winnipeg or the uh, university. And uh, so I'm there all week, and I call somebody from the office, and I can't get a hold of it. Everybody's gone. And so about Monday till Thursday, I finally get over hold of somebody in the office, and they set up a, a uh, doctor's appointment where I can't even walk. And I go to see the doctor, and the doctor says, you've got gout. And he gives me a couple of pills, and the gout is better. So, uh, but I hadn't practiced with anybody. And... But the night after I went to to the game, I went through the wives' room, and it's getting a little jumbled, but who do I see in the wives' room? It's Tommy McVie, after I had already agreed to... I guess I didn't agree till the next morning to sign with him for 10 grand, but who do I see is, but Tommy McVie in the dressing room, in the wives' room, after I'm leaving the dressing room of the, of the Jets. So I said, Tommy, I said, what are you doing here? And he said, uh, I came for the weather. <laughs> Pretty below. And uh, so, anyway, then I go to practice the next day, late, and I see Fergie there. And I agree to stay for, you know, till they come back. So they come back, and I haven't practiced at all. And Fergie, the coach was Larry Hillman at the time. And he says to me, he said, Fergie, he said, how are you? And I said, I haven't played for two months, three months. I'm not ready to play. And uh, he said, okay. He says, Fergie told me to play you. And he said, but, so I'm not going to play you. I'm going to dress you, but I'm not going to play you. So Joe Daly, I think, plays. And uh, uh, so anyway, then they fire Larry Hillman that night after the game. And who is the coach but Tom McVie? They announced him as the coach the next day. Mm-hmm. And if I had ever known that Tom McVie was going to be the coach, and I probably should have known because I did see him there a week earlier before they went on the road, I would have never played for the Winnipeg Jets <laughs> because of my experience in Washington. Now, he is a good friend of mine, Tom McVie, but... I wasn't able to go through that again. I wouldn't have been able to go through what I had to go through in Washington again. And I would never have done it. So here I am, and I have to go through it again. So here I go through the same thing, 30 pounds overweight, trying to get me down and doing all these extra things that you have to do to lose the 30 pounds and to get yourself in shape to play. And I go through it, and I go through it, and I go through it. And there's about four games or five games left in the year. And he, we played a game against, uh, an exhibition game against uh, Finland. Some team from Finland. Mm-hmm. And he puts me in there. He figures this is a good time to put me in there. And I, so I, I play. I remember breaking my blade on my skate during the game, my blade was broken. 
and I had to play in a broken blade. I think I thought it was going to break my ankle and break my leg, but I didn't want to be taken out of there. So I played half decent, and then the guy uh, fixed the blade on my skates, put a new blade on for the for the next practice the next morning. So he plays me in a lead game, and I play all right. And I'm still going through all this stuff in practice, having to play way harder, harder than everybody else. So then I play another game, and I play all right. Then I play another game, and I play all right. So then the playoffs start, and we win four straight against Quebec, and he plays me. Right. Then we got to play against Edmonton, so he plays me. I went into Edmonton and played the two best games I've ever played in my life in Edmonton. And or in the first game, the first two at home, no, the first two games in Edmonton. We're in Edmonton. And I played the two of the best games I've ever played in my life. So we come back, and I think just what was going on hits me, and I played terrible in Winnipeg. So we're up two to one. Then we play the third game, and we win it. So we're going back to Edmonton. I think maybe one game, one one of the two games at home anyway. So we're going back to Edmonton, and we lose badly there. And then I'm wondering if he's going to play me at home. He plays me at home. And Terry Ruskowski had a real bad shoulder, and he came back and played really good. And it was real lifted. He played, and we beat them. And, and we we beat them. We win the AFCO Cup in Winnipeg. If we would have went to another two games in Edmonton, we would never would have beat them. Because, uh, you know, they were so good. And it just worked out that we beat them. And Tom McVie did it to me again, <laughs> you know. And, uh, like, I got to thank him and thank him. Thank you, Tommy, for doing it. But I never would have done it. If I knew you were the coach, I would have quit. Right. I would have never done it. Well, thankfully, you and didn't. And thankfully, you Hmm? So I was going to say, thankfully you didn't. Thankfully, your wife uh, on Super Bowl Sunday encouraged you to make that call. You changed or helped to change Winnipeg uh, hockey fortunes uh, permanently. And I had, did have a question for you, though. Uh, that Arrows team, uh, we've talked about it on the show with Terry Ruskowski and Morris Lukowicz. That team is a combination. Just as you arrive and Larry Hillman's leaving, uh, you've got two factions, Houston Arrows, uh, Terry Ruskowski, Boris Lukowicz, Terry Ruskowicz. Uh, Scott Campbell, et cetera. And you have the old-time Jets, the Lyle Moffats, Bobby Guindons, Kent Nilsson, Willie Lynch, et cetera. So they were having a hard time meshing. And one of the things that these guys always talk about is that how Tom McVeigh helped them become a cohesive unit. And obviously your arrival, as as Morris noted, was, was a huge factor as well. Talk a little bit about the camaraderie on that group that you experienced in uh, that championship run. Well, I see, I didn't know anything about this because I came really late in the year with only about like 15 games left, something like that. And uh, I thought that and if he wasn't there yet, it was Larry Hillman. And um, I didn't know. I was just trying to do what I, uh, what, what I was supposed to do. But I didn't go there to be the regular goalie. I went there just to be like a, a spare goalie, you know is what I thought I was going there to be. And the guys were all really nice to me. Um, like I stayed at different guys' houses, uh, just slept on the couch at uh, Tim Claxon's place, him and uh, Glenn Hicks and 
uh, Richie Preston's place and uh, Scott Campbell's place. I slept, I slept at all their places, Paul mm-hmm. Durbenchi, because uh, I didn't have a home or anything there. And uh, I thought that they were, let's see, the guys from the WHA, I, I didn't know, like, I didn't know how good hockey players Ruskowski and Lukowicz and Scott Campbell were because I'd never played against them. I never heard of them mm-hmm. because they were in the other league. You know, I, I had been in the National Hockey League until the start of this year, and I didn't know who these guys were. And uh, when I got to when I got there and I saw what good hockey players these guys were, Terry Ruskowski and uh, all, or, um, Kent Nielsen and uh, Lukowicz, Lukowicz reminded me of Rocket Richard. All he saw was the goal, and his eyes just lit up. Uh, when he when and that's what he was, was a strict goal scorer. When he got the puck, it wasn't going to anybody else. He was just going towards that net, and he was going to put it in the net. Right. And Ruskowski, what a great team guy he was. Uh, you know, he was just such a great. He just offered his body up every night, and a little guy, and he would fight anybody. And uh, hit anybody, and like 165 pounds. Matter, he reminded me of Makita, and Scott Campbell. He was a big stay-at-home defenseman. Reminded me of a Doug Harvey, mm-hmm. basically. And uh, you know, and I didn't know that there was any. Uh, I heard after after about the guys from uh, Houston weren't getting on with the guys from Winnipeg, and guys from Winnipeg that were left were just pluggers. You know, the Gendons and the Lyle Moffats and stuff like that. They uh, they just were like the third and fourth liners, and then of course Kent Nielsen, but he can't. He never was with uh, Houston. I don't think. I don't know how they they ever got him there. How did they get him there? Yeah, you know. Yeah, he signed in in seventy seven. He came directly from Sweden. Uh, oh, for okay. Seventy seven, seventy eight season, the year before. Yeah. He was. He might have been the most talented hockey player, other than Gretzky, of course, that I ever played with, Kent Nielsen, and he had the hardest shot that I ever saw. Couldn't see. I remember one time at the uh, McZee had him in extra work for me. He had uh, Nielsen out there shooting pucks at me from the blue line, rapid fire, and I couldn't even see them. <laughs> and I and uh, they were going off my shoulder and over my head and hitting the post or in the net. And McZee just said, "Stop it!" He ended practice. He blew his whistle. He said, "Stop it!" He says, "This guy's got two kids to feed," meaning <laughs> me. And Nielsen was going to kill me. And I, because I couldn't see his shots from the blue line, they were so hard. Yeah, I think and, Gretzky once said he was probably the most talented player he had seen to that point in his career, and he yeah. proved it in the National oh, Hockey League was, as well. And he was not only talented at uh, at uh, hockey, he was like a great soccer player, apparently, in his own land. And When I was going to all these extra things that McVie was making me do up in Winnipeg Arena, because it was... 20 degrees below outside, I had to do all this running in the arena, I would see Nielsen up there running with a soccer ball, uh, kicking it all around and off the seats and onto his feet and everything. And mm-hmm. I understand now that his wife is a, uh, a professional golfer. He's a, he's uh, her caddy. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's neat. He's a really great guy. And he, re- he really had a beautiful uh, young uh wife i didn't know she was an athlete oh i didn't know she was an athlete apparently she uh was like they play some kind of like a type of a volleyball type different volleyball that he was on the she was on the national team Mm -hmm. at the time in uh sweden you know you mentioned kent nilsson and it's also kind of bittersweet players like kent nilsson and terry raskowski rich preston all are 
uh, taken from the Jets as you enter the National Hockey League. So the championship team is pretty well decimated when you get into the NHL. Uh, what what are your your memories of that first NHL season? Well, and an, another guy that, uh, that we did have in Winnipeg and that was vital to winning the the championship uh, in Winnipeg uh, was our, uh, Lars Eric Schuberg. Oh yeah, uh, he was uh, remind me of Pat Stapleton. He was among the the best defenseman uh, that I ever played with, for sure. And I think he, if he would have played, you know, in his in the prime that he was playing in the WHA and the NHL, he would be remembered as one of the better uh, defensemen ever in the National Hockey League. So the next year we went there losing those guys. Uh, Richie Preston was a real good up-and-down winger. He went on to score uh, 25 and 30 goals a year for Chicago. We lost Roskowski, and um, uh, basically um, they protected Nielsen and Scott Campbell. That's who they protected, wasn't it? It was actually Lukowicz and uh, Scott Lukowicz, Campbell. Lukowicz. So we lost. We lost. Uh, we lost uh, Nielsen. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, we could only protect two guys, and uh, uh, the draft was brutal for, uh, for expansion teams in those days, and. Uh, so we kept the Moffats and the Gindons and then everybody else's Hilliard Graves, and we made a mistake on the first uh, first uh, draft choice that we took, Jimmy Mann. You know, he could beat up against the, uh, the kids in uh, the junior, but uh, as a pro he couldn't beat up on anybody, so he wasn't much of a, a player to certainly build around, and so that was a mistake. Uh, nice kid, but uh, you know, uh, wasn't uh, an NHL type player even at the bottom ring. And um, so basically, uh, McVie wanted me to play again all the time, and I was basically at that time a third goalie. So um, I was play- I played at the start of the year, and and he and uh, you know put me in there night after night after night, and uh, so I just and I, and uh, I wasn't getting paid at the time. Um, at that time, I got my my salary garnished garnished by the Canadian government for income taxes that I had paid when I was that I hadn't paid when I was in Vancouver because I had a write off. Um, my agent, his name was Edmund McMullen at the time, uh, was in the movie business, and uh, I put my money into movies. And uh, it turns out it was all a little bit of a scam, but I knew nothing about it. I lost all my money, in the, and at that time, the money I was making from the Jets were being garnished by the Canadian government. And I ended up having to pay it for 10 years after that. Oh. So I asked Ferguson if I could go play in the minors and get paid in the minors, and he said yes. He, he looked into it, and he said, yes, you can get paid in Tulsa. So I asked to be sent to Tulsa. So I was only with the team for about, I don't know, 20 games or something like that. And I, I played about 20, 12 of them, and I won about three and basically couldn't play for an expansion team anymore in the National Hockey League. So that's how I ended my career. <laughs> so, Gary... That's my whole story. Yeah. You'll have to put it on two episodes or, uh, or there's, whatever. There's no question. And I, I actually I wanted to ask you just two more quick questions. Number one was, when your career is over, you know it's over in 1980, uh, what's that adjustment like? I know some players have a, d- a difficult time. You've played for a long time, almost your entire life. What's that first year, 80-81, like outside of hockey? Well, fortunately, I was still in hockey. I had signed a two-year contract with with Ferguson, 
and um, I was living at that time. I moved to Phoenix, and I was a scout for Winnipeg, uh, living in Phoenix. And uh, so basically I went to training camp. I went to a few games during the year, and uh, one of the the, uh, assignments I got during the year, so I was still in hockey at that time, and uh, was to go to the high school tournament in in Minnesota, and uh, for the entire tournament, and it's just fantastic hockey, I learned. And I went in there. There was only one other guy in hockey that was there for the whole tournament, and that was Scotty Bowman. So there's Scotty Bowman and myself going and watching this tournament, and uh, the player that I saw and he saw for this entire tournament was Phil Housley. So my only guy I saw that could play in the National Hockey League all some all winter there was Phil Housley. I went to a few games in San Diego scouting a university out there called International University, and they had nobody that was any, any good to play out there in the National Hockey League. So when, then I went to the end, of the end of the season to our meetings in Montreal, and the guy that I was trying to say to draft for their first draft choice because they lost all so many games that year was uh, um, Phil Housley, and uh, so I was trying to push him. And then... Uh, Winnipeg, of course, had to take Dale Howardchuck, and uh, mm-hmm. then, then I was my contract was up, and I then the next year was I was in, uh, uh, you know, I was out of hockey, so I knew I was finished, and so uh, I got a job at the racetrack in uh, Phoenix because I, lo- I love the racetrack, and uh, so I, you know, I didn't miss hockey that much, and then a couple of years later, then you know you get to miss it, and you, you you're out of the game, and. And you still have your memories of the guys in the game and the the, the good guys you've met and uh, all along the line. And um, really, when then when you get older, it comes back more to you. I think you know I'm 75 now, and uh, I think I'm more popular when I was I'm 75 than I was when I was <laughs> 35. You know because uh, there's a lot of things that come up. People ask you to do books and and um, I just. It was involved with a part of a book with, uh, it's called uh, 23 to Win. That, oh, that, yeah, uh, right. Mm-hmm. About this year, I, they interviewed me for that, and they sent me a copy, and it's a wonderful book. And each night I go to sleep and I read one of the other 23 guys' stories. You know, there's Frank Mahovlich in there and um, Nick Beverly I played with. Uh, I'm trying to figure out anybody else I played with. Um, there's a lot of guys I didn't know. Dominic Hasek is the the other goalie. I didn't know him, and uh, certainly great to hear his story. A lot of guys from Europe in there that have great stories they tell about how they got to the NHL and who they play for. I have my in my 23 uh, guys. I have guys like uh, Bobby Hall, Gretzky, Harry Howell. Pat Stapleton, Bill White, uh, Don Lever. He, Don Lever would be my captain. He was the guy that I was most impressed with my whole life in professional hockey. Wow. Don Lever. Um, Normie Ferguson, I don't know if I mentioned him. Jim McKenney, Mike Walton. I got, this was a real interesting type of thing that you had to do. Uh, you had to put a player in the position 
that he was on your team, like say Don Lever was number one uh, left winger on my team, that I had to fit him in to number one left winger in the whole uh, team above Bobby Hall. I couldn't put Bobby Hall in there mm-hmm. because uh, I, would, I, I was able to pick Bobby Hall because I only played with him well, one year in Winnipeg and one year in uh, in uh, in uh, Chicago, so I had to put him where he fit in to the games. It's a long uh, thing to try and explain it to you where they had to fit in. There was a lot of players I couldn't fit in. Uh, guys like uh, Dennis Kearns in Vancouver, I wanted to put him in there, but he just didn't fit in the proper spot the way he was on the Vancouver team because maybe he was my number one defenseman and I had already put Pat Stapleton in there as a number one defenseman and I couldn't use him. And a lot of guys like that that I couldn't do. But I tried to put my friends in and the guys that I was most impressed with on and off the ice in my team. And I I think I, I had a pretty good team. Uh, we got beat out first round in the playoffs and whoever was picking for it in the book. But at least we made the playoffs. There were some guys that didn't make the playoffs. Right. The teams that they played, I made the playoffs. They gave me a team called uh, Smitty Stars or something like that. <laughs> You'll have to get the book. <laughs> well, we're definitely going to get the book now, and we'll review yeah. it on the show. But in the meanwhile, I've been looking forward to this interview for uh, quite some time, and it was even better than I anticipated that it would be. Greatly appreciate the time. Certainly, as I said, to open the show with the most entertaining, respected, and durable players of your generation. And we greatly appreciate you sharing your stories here today. And we know the fans greatly appreciate that as well. So thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. Well, I thank you, Mark. And uh, good luck with your show. And uh, it's just great that there's someone out there that has a show like this that uh, can uh, hear st- uh, people's degree, uh, you know, careers at uh, different way that they grew up, but I tried to give you my whole career, and I think you got it. <laughs> I did. It was beautiful. I greatly appreciate it. Gary, look forward to talking to you again soon, and again, thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for listening to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the voice of hockey legends. Just a reminder to please consider giving the show a rating, and or review on Apple Podcasts. The link is in the show notes. These ratings and reviews help us become a lot more visible and make the show more accessible to hockey fans everywhere. I personally read all the reviews and greatly appreciate them all. If you have thoughts or suggestions for the show, you can talk to, contact us through our website at prohockeyalumni.org or be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Pro Hockey Alumni. Thanks for listening.